What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Den Talks Podcast is powered by DenAnywhere.com. You guys go to DenAnywhere.com now, no matter where you live in the world, and you can take our classes virtually and live. Go to denanywhere.com and sign up for just $29.99 a month. You get a limited access to our classes with over 150 a month to choose from. Plus, most of them are archived, so if you can't make the exact time, you can catch them later. We still also have our workshops and our certifications now all accessible to you no matter where you are. Go to denanywhere.com. Welcome to Den Talks Podcast. This is Talia, your host and the founder of Den Meditation. I'm talking with Justin Michael Williams today, who I adore. He and I did a panel together, and I've been trying to get him on ever since. I wanted to share his brilliance with you. I feel like he has such a relatable quality that makes him such a brilliant teacher. And here's the beauty. Since I've been trying to get him on, he's actually come out with a book, Stay Woke. And I promise you, go get this. Run, Don't Walk. It is the most personalized book And by personalized, I mean it is written for you. No matter who you are, you will feel like you're on a one-on-one session with him. Even me, when I was actually going through the entire book and reading it, I found myself doing all the exercises because I found myself being reattuned to myself. And I think that is so important. So no matter where you are on your journey of self-discovery, if you are novice and just stepping into this for the first time, or if you've been doing this forever and are super experienced, it is still a brilliant book for you because we all need a reattunement. And that's what I realized as I was reading it. Anyway, he is described in such a great way, which I love, that his works are the intersection of social justice, mindfulness, and personal growth with a touch of music that brings it all to life. And that is him. He is fun. He's animated. He relates to so many, covers so much with the fact that he comes from such a diverse background. He is a brilliant teacher. He was put on this earth to teach. It is very clear. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed speaking with him. And if you do, let us know. How amazing. I feel like your book came out. It was so for, I mean, is fortuitous the right word or serendipitous? It's all so of it. Like, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I mean, it's just amazing what an incredible time it came out. I loved your book. Thank you. I awesome. loved it. And I suggest for everyone listening to this, like, go get it because I, I felt like more than, and I've read a lot of these, obviously it's like, we interview a lot of people. I read a lot of them more in the wellness community. I felt like you did such an amazing job of, it was as if someone was in a one-on-one session with you, which uh, I, that was the goal. <laughs> well, I, I felt like that. I felt like it was so specific to what one person needs. It wasn't like, hey, I hope you read this and then there's stuff you relate to and can take from it and learn from. It was more like, you are going to learn from this because this is going to be for you specifically. And no matter who you are. And I thought that was so brilliantly done. And I have to also say to people, um, also listen to the audio because I did both with you and you are an incredible reader. Oh, well, we use the voice when we need to. (laughs) So, and I mean, I actually was laughing, like listening to the audio. I'm like, you are one of the best audios I've heard 
for anything because it, again, it's as if I'm like, it doesn't sound like you're reading your book at all. It actually feels like someone's showing up for a workshop with you. It's so natural, so funny. So it feels like it's off the cuff and so brilliant. So I really highly suggest that as well for people to do both of them. Well, thank you. That really means a lot. That really means a lot because those were, all of those things that you just said were like deeply intentional and I'm so glad that they came through. Do you know what I mean? So it's glad that it resonates with people that way or they receive it that way. It did. And look, I, I, what I loved about it too, it vibed with me too, especially because I feel like, you know, you start the book kind of saying, if you're looking for some hippy dippy, you know, Zen uh, meditation class, like this isn't for you. And mm-hmm. I sort of like, I circled that and like, it's right in the beginning of your book and like exclamation points. I was like, yes, yes, yes. And I think that's kind of important, especially right now. I feel like the wellness community is going through a very interesting time. At least I feel that way and I'm struggling with it a little bit. Um, so talk about that a little bit of how you re- wanted to be very clear off the bat that this is not a hippy dippy thing. Yeah, because, you know, in my opinion, the world didn't need another hippie Zen meditation book. Like we got enough of those. We got plenty of those. And I didn't want to write one of those. And I, I think one of the things Tall that felt really essential to me as a part of this book was that the book was for everyday people to show you how the practices actually help you in your life, how it helps you take action in your life, how it helps you change your life, how it helps you do all of those things. And when I'm saying your life, like I want to expand the definition of like self, meaning like you and your own individual life that you have that is quote unquote you know, not affecting anyone else, but I'm talking about like the life of you as a person, the life of our planet, the life of us as a collective, the life of your culture, the life of, you know, so how does this practice intersect those things is really why I wrote the book and not so much to, trust me, people, you, if you read the book, you will know that I'm as woo woo as they get. I got the crystals all around me right now. <laughs> you know, there, it's all, I got the, I li- exactly, I'm right there with you, citrine just so you guys know when I'm wearing a head wrap. So like I'm woo woo. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm like, so woo. I got the Palo Santo sustainable, of course, you know, and all those things and like, great. Now, how do we use all of that to take action? That's what the book's about. Such a huge believer on it. I say it all the time. It's like, you know, you can meditate all you want. And by the way, I'm obviously pro meditation, clearly, (laughs) but if you're not actually also assimilating it into you and into everyday life, then you're not actually like integrating it and getting what you can actually get out of it. You don't get that inner growth just doesn't happen just because you're sitting down. Like there's, it's work also. And I, in a good way. And I, that's why I love that you said it. And I agree. That's where the hippy dippy stuff as woo woo as I am as well can sometimes I feel like mask the reality of where we live, who we are, humanity, the messiness, the darkness, sometimes all of it, the layers, just like the mix of everything. Yeah. And I think it's a little scary sometimes. And that's, yeah, you know, we, uh, we tend to, I think most people know the word spiritual bypass by now. Um, but for people who don't, it's just to use your spirituality to bypass like the very real struggles and things that are happening in the world around you in your life and in the world. And, I think we have a tendency as meditators to go, oh, this is happening in the world. This is happening in the world. Okay, like I'm gonna sit here and loka samasta and send love and light. And I'm not shading any of those things because those things need to happen. Like I still do all of those things. And it's not enough. 
if, if it was enough, we wouldn't be seeing the issues that we're having in the world right now. So like, there's much more to be done other than just sending love and light. It's like, okay, send the love and light, then what, you know? And that's where the book kind of tries to, um, to invite people into is that intersection of then what? And it's not just about activism. It's not just about social or environmental justice. It's about your life and our lives as a collective and really what you do for your family, for yourself to break through toxic habits, to just all the different things that we have in our lives that cover up the real essence of who we really are. And I know that's like one of the points of meditation in the first place, right? To get us in touch with that true essence, that, that essential nature of who we are. And it's beautiful when we can do that sitting on a cushion with our eyes closed, but then we open our eyes and then we're back in all the bullshit. So like, how do we take that off of the cushion or off of the mat you know, as, as like they like to say, off the mat into the world and all of that. How do we how do we take it off and and continue the practice in our lives so that our lives show up differently? I, I like to say this, Tall. It's like the book for me is part of. It's not all of, but it's part of the internal work that we need to do to make the external world show up differently. Ooh, I love that. You know, because like even with social justice, like we can dismantle the police we can defund i mean dis defund the police dismantle the system elect a new president like we could burn the whole damn thing down and if we haven't done the internal work that it takes then we're just going to end up rebuilding the same thing that looks slightly different and we know this in our own lives like how many times have you been in a relationship with somebody broke up with them got in a new relationship with a different person and a few months later realized you're in the same relationship but with a different person because you haven't changed to show up differently for a relationship. And so I think the external work is important. I don't wanna say it's not essential, it's essential and important and we need to be matching it with our internal fortitude as well. How have you been feeling, and by the way, I completely agree. And, and you, there was a couple of things in there that I love. It's, you know, it's like, yes, we're all about raising that vibration. You sit down and you wanna send love and light, like you said, and, um, and I get it, like we do big group meditations trying to change the vibration and raise, but there's this weird thing, I guess what I'm struggling with in the wellness community right now too, is there is a huge bypass happening of people saying with everything going on, I mean, it's 2020, I mean, we are hit with everything and it's, it's fascinating in some ways. And you have this whole community that's basically saying, mm, the problem is you guys are all getting involved in that. If you would just raise the vibration and shift the direction of the train of thoughts, well then not only can you pull yourself out of it, you can pull everyone out with you. And I, I wish you guys could see his face. <laughs> <laughs> For one split second, you guys could have seen his face. It was brilliant. And I'm really struggling with it. Like I'm really, really struggling with it because Yes, like you just said, I fully agree that that does do something like raising a vibration is huge and we want to raise the frequency of the world so that we can all elevate and help others elevate. But that, like you said, it's not enough. And it's, I find a little scary that there's so many leaders and teachers and people that people are looking to for spiritual guidance that are, I don't know, that are so firmly planted in that. Well, you know, it, it disappoints me because <laughs> if, if your spirituality or yoga is a yoga or spirituality that 
says it can only be spiritual or yogic if it is not looking in the shadow and ignoring the very real things that are happening in the real world, then I don't want any part of that yoga or spirituality because it, it just it just isn't. It's just like a complete facade. And it's exactly what we're breaking down in the world today. This like facade that we've placed in front of our eyes that show us the world in a way that it act differently than it actually is. And here's the thing, I, what I wanna invite people into is to get rid of this idea that it has to be one or the other of those things. It's not, because it's not. Like, yes, we absolutely need to raise the vibration. Like, unquestionably, absolutely, yes, period. And, <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah, I guess not period, comma, and, you know, there are still like huge major struggles and problems happening in the world. And our, our, the thing that we need to do is not to ignore those problems or resist them, but to lean into the shadow of what's really happening so that we can shine light in those places. And if you're just pretending they don't exist or just quote unquote, raising the vibration, whatever that means, you know, what is the actual work being done? Um, and so th this is this is a really it is this really sticky topic to me because I think it's I think it's both. That's really what it is to me. It's not one or the other. Like, of course, you can't be low vibration and constantly fighting. You know, I, I anyway, I'll stop there. <laughs> keep going, keep going. That's what the whole point is. Keep going. Yeah. I, so I think that we have to be very clear. To, tell, to ask ourselves the question, what are we fighting for? What are we fighting for, not just what are we fighting against? And I think that's really the question that people wanna be asking when they're talking about raising the vibration, but I think a lot of people are saying it very unskillfully because I understand the feeling of, ah, oh, like I'm fighting, like we're just fighting against something, which is like creating more tension and creating more problems. And you can be fighting for something. If you're fighting for something, it automatically includes what you're fighting against. But if you're just fighting against something, it doesn't necessarily include what you're fighting for. So like if, if I had like, if I could draw that out for somebody, imagine we have like a circle that inside that circle has everything that you're fighting against, right? And we, inside that circle, we could have police brutality and we could have violence against black lives and we can have inequality and we can have, you know, all the things that we, we want to be fighting against, quote unquote. And if you're just fighting against, but you don't know what you're fighting for, then you could draw arrows away from that circle in any direction and to be getting away from the thing. But that just separates us more because if we don't know what we're fighting for, then we can all be running away from this thing, but in different directions. Am I making sense without a visual right oh. now? Yeah, 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 no, absolutely. And so, but when we know what we're fighting for, so you have one circle, let's say that's on the right side with what you're fighting against. And then on the left side, you have what you're fighting for. If you just know, okay, I'm fighting for this, then it's, it's, its directionality is still sending you away from the thing you're fighting against. So it's still accomplishing the same thing but it's taking us in a direction altogether. 
And I think that's a piece of what's missing for people and what they're really craving and wanting in this movement right now is what are we fighting for? What is the higher frequency and higher vibration and higher energy that we are walking into? What are we being called into? What are we walking toward and not just what are we walking away from? And that's kind of the energy that I'm, that I do encourage people to start thinking about more. I love that. And then do you feel, cause you talk about this in your book too, about which, and you so skillfully laid it out, which I really like where you say, you know, meditation isn't just ignoring action. Like it takes both. If anything, meditation should hopefully encourage action. And it's the, it's yes, you create a collective voice, but you also need action to kind of move the needle. Yeah. So do you feel like if you're pushing, finding what you're fighting for and creating that energy of what you're fighting for, where does the action then take place in that? Yeah, I mean, the action is the whole thing. Like, like the action is, for me, the action, it has to be completely integrated. Like, for me, I meditate for many reasons, but like, we meditate so that we can have the spiritual center or the center, whether it's spiritual or not for you, to show up and take the actions that we need to take all day. Because like what's creating your, your life and your reality is not your thoughts. It's the actions that you take because of your thoughts. Thank God our thoughts don't create a reality because I think a whole lot of shit all day that I'm like, you know what I mean? That like, I definitely do not want to want to appear. And so like, but what, what actually creates our reality is of course the vibration. I understand all of those things, the law of vibration and attraction. I understand all of that. So the emotional awareness and all that is important. However, what is actually creating our reality is our actions and the actions of others. We don't live in this siloed reality where it's just like my reality is here and then your reality is there. It's like, no, the things you do are actually affecting me directly, you know? And like, I think that's the piece that the self-empowerment movement and a lot of people are missing. Dan Siegel, who's a great friend of mine and who's been an amazing teacher to me, you know, he says that like one of the biggest tragedies that we've had in the world is this limited definition of self that is like a self that exists inside this individual body. And it's not true. There's no, there is no scientific evidence. There's no evidence really. And when we look at our reality that like the self is separate from anything else because every single thing we do is affecting and is affected by the world around us. So, and one another. And I think as we expand that definition we can see how the actions that we take in alignment with the thoughts that we have, in alignment with the energy that we're bringing, in alignment with the emotions that we're holding, like are all together creating this collective selfhood, <laughs> for the lack of better words, you know, that we're all living in together. So that, that sounded like real woo-woo and extra, but hopefully you love it. I mean, anyone who knows me knows I, lo I love that stuff because I, I think it is really interesting and I talk about this all the time too, the idea of, you know, we are, I mean, look, we chose this, we chose this lifetime to live here in humanity as a human on this earth with all of this stuff. And so you get this kind of awesome combination of the energy of the self that's connected to so much more of this beautiful energy and knowledge and information that's connected and like the etheric side that goes, and then also that physical body side, that side that's our physical planted here firmly on the ground vibrating at with the ground with the earth and i find it so fascinating and i think people don't realize actually how hard that integration is you know i think people feel like that's the easy part is like oh well i'm just part of it and i'm like i actually feel like 
that's almost the trick because people either get too mired in one or the other, you know, they either kind of want to disappear and like float or do a little bit what we're talking about. Then let's just raise the vibration. It'll all be good. Like let's, <laughs> the world is like, we're all equal. So it doesn't matter. You know, you just float in this place or you get, you know, mired down here. But to me, the beauty is that intersection, like what you were just saying with like from Dan Siegel, I'm like, when you can figure out that intersection and then that balance point, that's when, you can start doing some amazing things on this planet, like in this lifetime, in this physical body. Yeah. And you know what? My, I'm looking up his, his last name really quick. Um, a friend of mine named Orlando um, Biaraga. I listened to a talk with him and Dan Siegel actually last week. And the, he works pretty closely with an indigenous tribe. I believe it's called the Tahuna tribe. Um, I, I apologize if I'm not saying that properly, but they have this amazing way of thinking about things, this indigenous wisdom that I think we can learn a lot from, which is, you know, we like as Westerners, like we're constantly like trying to get, like it's like we're striving for like a deeper connection with nature. Like we're trying to have a deeper connection with each other. We're trying to have a deeper connection with spirit and all of this. Mm -hmm. And this tribe, like the way that they looked at it was like, there's nowhere to get to because you can never disconnect it. So like it, right. it was never disconnected in the first place. Like it just is all connected, like, <laughs> you know? Interesting. It's such an interesting thing. It's like, you don't have to strive and feel like one day you will get to a point where all of a sudden you have it. It's like, no, 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 you have it. You were born with it. It's yours. It's yeah. like, how good are you at maybe hearing it or feeling it? I don't know, but that's so funny. It's so true. Like, what are you? What are you going to get? You have it. You're connected. You're permanently wired. Like in. you already are like for real. It's just, you are it. Like you're, you already are all of it. And so there's nothing to find. There's nothing to go to. There's nothing to get. Like all you have to do is just like, remember that you are and be in it. And I thought it was such a beautiful. I, mean, I love that. Remember that you yeah. are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Statement alone is actually really beautiful. Um, I, I love, I mean, one of the reasons I was really excited to talk to you also, and we have so much to talk about, and I want to continue talking even about like everything that's going on, but, and it was funny then reading your book, it made total sense, but I always just love, and this word can be a lot like how authentic you are oh, and how, and that's why, and your approach to like everything we're talking about, even here, it's kind of like, I'm sure not every single person agrees with you. Um, but it's like, you're like, that's okay. This is me it's what i'm gonna do and i think that's why to to me you do relate to the everyman which i think is really important i mean it's the same reason i opened the den i was like this should be accessible to so many more people that at this point don't even know what meditation is so and it was funny because then reading your book when you talk about he goes to this amazing thing about finding your own mantra which i want to talk about too and how yours was basically involving authenticity. Yeah. And what was the whole thing? It was something authenticity. Complete authenticity. Complete yeah. authenticity. Yeah. And, um, and I started laughing because I, I didn't know you before that. So I was like, well, it worked. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, it, it clearly worked because I, I mean, I don't know the before and after, but um, it was really interesting because I do feel like that's something you give off in a huge way. Well, you know, it's interesting. The thank you, first of all. And second, the, yeah, girl, if you could have seen me, <laughs> if you could have seen, 
<laughs> yeah, if you're gonna see 19 or 20 year old Justin, uh, you would have had a whole different moment. But it, you know, I think it, it goes, to be honest with you, to a little bit about what we talked about in the beginning, which is, you know, so many of us, we, we try to change our external circumstances, our external world, like hoping that it's gonna transform something inside of ourselves. And we learn over and over and over and over and over, and I still have to learn it sometimes too, that like that's, that's not the way it works, right? You have to go from the inside out, like the revolution really does start inside, and, and that doesn't negate the external work that also has to be done side by side with it um, in every different way in our life, lives. And so for me, it's been an interesting journey because, you know, I grew up in the Bay Area in Northern California in a little town called Pittsburgh, California, which most people don't even know there's a Pittsburgh in California. It's in the East Bay. Um, it's like 20 minutes east of Oakland. And, you know, I grew up in a home with gunshot holes literally etched to the outside of my house and domestic violence and trauma and alcoholism and emotional abuse. And, and you know, it just was what a lot of kids are facing now. And to be honest, like what a lot of people listening probably grew up with some of these different things, you know, at different levels. And I tell people, it's like, this is not the like oppression Olympics. Like we all grew up with trauma, you know? And my particular brand of trauma caused me to have this desire to just get out. Like I was like, I'm gonna get out of here. And like the way out when you grow up in those kind of environments as a kid, in my environment was, okay, you're either gonna be really successful and smart in school, or you're gonna be really good at sports. I was terrible at sports. So like, that was not gonna be my approach. I tried, it was not the thing. What did you so, try? What was your? Girl, everything. I played football, basketball, baseball, everything that you could try, I tried. I was bad at all of them. So, <laughs> and so my real truth is my parents should have put me in like gymnastics or ballet and I would have slayed it, but they wanted me to be like the man, you know, yeah. the boy. And so, Anyway, I'm, I'm telling you all this to say that, you know, I think for a lot of us, what we learn to do is to become chronic overachievers, right? And so like, how do we, how do we succeed to be loved and validated and accepted? Like, how do we fulfill everyone else's expectations? And for me, it was, it, what I ended up doing was creating a life, an entire life based on, completely based on my desire to get out of where I grew up, you know, like, okay, everything that I did was me, again, like we talked about, what I was running away from, but not what I was running toward, right? So I was just running in all these different directions and you know, had this moment where I realized I got to UCLA, I had checked every box off the list that there was to check. I graduated at the top of my class. I had hundreds of thousands of dollars in scholarships because of how I grew up and how many I applied for. I got a full ride academic scholarship to go to UCLA. I was out of the closet. I was living in a ritzy area in Westwood. I had extra money for my scholarship. So I was buying true religion jeans when that was a thing to do. And like, you know. True religion. Remember jeans. true religions and like seven jeans. So I was like buying, you know, right. And like all of those things. And I had this moment when I was 19 that I realized, and I'm 32 now, when I realized, wait a second. I did every single thing by the book. I did everything and I'm still miserable. What like, was miserable for you? Like, what did that feel like for you? So uh, bad. Um, <laughs> I had, 
Do you know what? No one has ever once in the hundreds of podcast interviews I've had asked me that question. I'm so grateful that you asked me that question. Oh, really? No one has ever said that. What do you mean miserable? So what it felt like was constantly trying to fit in somewhere, but not knowing where I fit, like constantly trying to shape shift and like adjust myself. And it turned into like a really bad eating disorder when I was in college, actually. Um, so like I weigh like 160 now, which is like normal weight for somebody who's, you know, 5'11", almost six feet tall with my, with my hair, I'm six feet. And that hair. <laughs> and, uh, and when I was in college, I weighed 115 at my lowest. So I was really tiny. Oh my God. Yeah, it was, it was a lot. And, you know, just completely struggling with like, I, I think back then I was depressed, but I didn't have the language to know that I was depressed. You know, I was like completely up and down, looking at myself in the mirror, constantly judging myself, like not knowing what to do and then faking it in front of everyone else. Because like, I was the one in my family who made it. So like, I couldn't sh to, like tell them that I was upset or like that I wasn't happy because I was supposed to be the one who was happy, right? And, um, and one of my mentors at the time, when I kind of confessed that I was not happy, said, you need to try meditation. And I literally tall was like, meta what? Like, <laughs> that was my response, I was like, wait, what is that? I was like, isn't that worshiping the devil? Like, I literally didn't know what it was. Um, this is before Oprah had a meditation challenge. This is before, so I didn't know any black people doing it. I had literally never, maybe had like, maybe had heard the word a couple times, but like didn't really know what it was. And that was kind of my first, like inch, that was like my turning, the, turning my sights towards this path was that, that moment. Now, so you said you were 19, you said you were out of the closet. Mm -hmm. Had you, how long had you been out of the closet at that point? About a year and a half. Mm -hmm. So were you still grappling with like- Oh no. The story of identity is fascinating. I yeah. mean, because you, and I love talking about identity because I find it that everyone in some shape or form is always like grappling with who they are. I mean, I yeah. feel like for meditation is huge. It's like, who are you? Um, but and so talk about it a little bit because you were like you said you were raised in the East Bay, yeah, tougher neighborhood. You're black, you were gay, but didn't come out of the closet. Um, your family was mixed, correct? Mixed, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm half black, half Persian, but my mom is adopted into an Italian and Mexican family, so I have a whole mess of identity. <laughs> so. And that family must have been loud. <laughs> very loud. Very loud. <laughs> Everyone talking over each other. And didn't you, I think I heard somewhere or read somewhere that maybe is it in your book? Um, that did your your mom when she met your dad, did her family disown her? Yeah, so so my mom is a Persian and Middle Eastern woman who, to be honest, for all of our life until just a handful of years ago, um, we thought my mom was Mexican because my mom's adopted and the doctors told my grandparents she was Mexican. And then we did an ancestry DNA test and found out my mom was not Mexican, but she was Persian. And so, so like, it was such a huge awakening for our wake up to all of us about how learned culture is because my screen name on AOL Instant Messenger when I was a kid was Blacksican Boy 22. Like that's how much I identified with that. And so anyway, I'm telling you that because, um, but my mom was raised in an, a mostly Italian family. And so 
when my mom meets my dad, because she had known my dad, but when they got engaged, um, it split our entire family in half. Um, so my the racism in the family, my grandma had nine brothers and sisters and half of them I've never met. And they have literally, like half of them have all died and they didn't go to each other's funerals. Like that's the level of like grudge that was held. But luckily my grandparents and a few of the other family members like came back to my mom's side, you know, and you know, we grew up in a very loving environment with them. So interesting. I've never understood it. My ex-husband was um, half black and his mom was Greek. His dad was black and um, his mom's family completely disowned her. So he wasn't raised, and it was just him. So it was a very small family. It was just the three of them. And he was basically only knew his dad's side of the family, like his grandparents from his dad. And I, that always was like, wow, I can't believe. And it's interesting. I don't know how we, your parents weren't together though, were they? They were only together for until I was six. Mm-hmm. They were married yeah, until I was six. Fine. It's so fascinating what, how, as a parent, how you're willing to let go, like be, I don't know. It's just interesting. Yeah. So how for you though, so my point though, so you're in this like some Mexican, Italian, half black, you think you're half Mexican, yeah, like gay, but nobody knows. Are you like, uh, so <laughs> well, I like for me, the thing was as a kid, like I used to always, what I, the way I found out even what gay was, was like people were calling me gay. Like, and I didn't, I actually didn't, I was in second grade. I didn't even think I knew what it meant really back then. Like, and um, so I apparently have had this like gay sticker like slapped across my forehead since I was a kid. And um, <laughs> I knew, but I knew that I liked boys like for a long time since I was a young kid, but I wasn't like out, you know, and comfortable quote unquote with it until I went, until I left to college. And did you tell, did you tell your parent, like how, when you came out, we don't yeah. have to talk, by the way, I love how this has come like a coming out, but like when you came out, did you tell your parents right away? Yeah, uh, no, so, okay, so this is actually what happened. So I waited, I actually, so I didn't come out, I went to UCLA and I was, I remember I was thinking, oh my gosh, okay, I'm at college now and I had promised myself when I got to college because I didn't have any parents or anybody around that knew me or anything that I was going to come out. And so it's orientation. And I remember I was just thinking and stressing like at night, like, how am I going to do it? How am I going to do it? How am I going to come out? How am I going to come out? And we're sitting in this huge group of people on my floor and we're all talking. And I think we're eating something at, at, at orientation. And one of the girls just yells like across the circle at me and goes, so do you have a boyfriend? <laughs> and I was like, I was like, no. And I was just out. So I never had to like come out to my friends. It just was, again, stamped on my forehead. And then uh, fast forward, it was, I went home for Christmas break, which was my first time back home, you know, for the holidays with my family. And I realized when I got home, I was like, oh, I have to go back in the closet. And then like all my friends who were from the Bay Area, they were going to clubs and going to bars, like gay bars over the holidays with everybody. And I was like, well, if I'm gonna go hang out with them, I have to tell my mom, like I'm gonna have to tell them the truth. And at that point, I just didn't care anymore. I, I said, you know, I have money, I'm taken care of. If they cut me off, which I was really nervous that my, my parents were gonna com completely cut me off. Like my, it was not an okay thing in my family. And um, 
I said, if they do, I'm good. Like I'll go back to LA and I'm, and I'm fine. And I'll be a wreck, but I'll be all to survive. And so I did it. I told my mom um, and my dad, and I told my mom in public at the Cheesecake Factory, which was a terrible decision because I thought telling her in public would make her not make a big scene, but she did anyways. And my dad was actually the one who I was the most nervous to tell because he's like a, he's an ex-police officer. He's like super macho and like very like tough guy. And my dad was so easy. And my mom was so not easy. Like my, my dad was like, I know son, I've known since you were a little kid, I've just been waiting for you to tell me like, I love you anyways. Like he literally didn't care. <laughs> and, and my mom, you? oh my God, she was just a wreck. It, <laughs> tall, you can't even imagine. Like she was in the Cheesecake Factory, like hysterically crying and like yelling at me like, so does this mean you have HIV? Does oh this mean? you're gonna be wearing dresses does this mean you're gonna start wearing a purse i'm like what are you talking about look i'm just looking at her like what are you talking about no <laughs> you know so but she's i'll tell you this my mom holy moly and i think a lot of queer people have this experience with their parents not everybody but um my mom has grown so much she is a bigger gay rights activist than i am truthfully she oh. will protest she was protesting prop eight she wears rainbow shit on pride i don't even wear rainbow stuff on pride like she's like so all about it now and she's grown a lot in the last you know 15 years or so well you can ask of people yeah how how much do you think it's interesting that you said when you came out that you felt like i'll be okay because i can i have money i can go back to la i'll be heartbroken but i'll be okay how much like for people who are struggling with whether it's you know identity or you know a big change how much of like the mindset of knowing that talk about that mindset because i think that's actually a really interesting mindset you kind of pointed out it's important i i say this to people because kids you know I, I do a lot of work with youth and i they I can't even tell you how many kids come out to me as the first person they've ever come out to. It's the most beautiful thing because I, they're comfortable and they can see. And they ask me like, how do we do it? How do you do it? How do I come out? And what I love is kids are asking it like so much younger. Like I'm getting like 12 year olds asking me this, you know, which at 12, I wasn't even like almost considering that. And um, what I tell everyone is this, like, first of all, like first and foremost, come out to yourself. Like that's first because you don't have to outwardly express yourself to anyone to make you okay to you. So like I tell people to start there and I know there's gonna be that desire to expand and have it mirrored back to you like that, you know, there's a love for you and who you are in the outside world. And when that happens, you, you just want to make sure you have a support system in place. Like you want to make sure that I tell people not to imagine the worst case scenario is going to happen, but like, just if it was, just if it did, like, would you be, would you be okay? Like, and by okay, I don't mean emotionally okay. Cause obviously you, you wouldn't be, but like, would you be in this physical tangible world? Like, would you not be sleeping out on the street by yourself? You know, because that makes the stakes so much higher. And so I tell people to build their community around them, come out to a few friends first, tell whatever identity is you're talking about, like tell a few people who you love first, like talk to a few people to say, hey, if I do this, like, do you have my back? 
can I sleep on your couch? Can like, I come over, will you be there for me? Can I call you afterwards? And like, I did that. When I came out to my mom at the Cheesecake Factory, my friend Helen was in San Francisco in her green van waiting outside because I said, if my mom leaves or whatever, can like, can I come home with you? Like, and she was, she was there. And I called, text her afterwards, like my mom's, I'm driving home with my mom. She's not fine, but I'm okay. Like, you know, she's not disowning me. And, you know, I made sure that I had that support. And if you don't feel like you have anyone around you um, that can support you in that way, this is when you start reaching out to bigger bodies of communities like, you know, the HRC or LGBTQ organizations or me, you know, that can point you in the right direction. You know, so there's a lot of resources and support for people out there. When you, it's, I love that you do that. And I love that the kids are getting younger. So when you're now 19 and you said you were kind of having this weird crisis, your mentor tells you like meditate and cause you were miserable. What do you feel like, what do you feel like got to that point? And, and then, and then talk about when you started meditating, how it changed it for you. So it was so interesting Tall. So I take you back to that moment when I literally didn't know what meditation was. And the next thing that happened, it was, this was a total act of God or fate or the universe or whatever you want to call it. Like I, whatever angels were surrounding me were like, we're going to steer this little 115 pound boy in the right direction and get him some food and like take care of him because yeah, it was just a mess. But what happened is I went to a meditation workshop, I think two weeks later in Santa Monica and I hated it. I literally was like, this is stupid. I don't know what- At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at hero.co the hell this is I remember sitting there thinking like there's no way I'm getting my mind to stop thinking I'm looking at the clock not into this right so I leave that night that same night my friend Christy Christensen um, she is uh, was the director of a yoga studio that I was going to in Venice called exhale and she calls me and says hey I'm going to a birthday party tonight and I don't want to go alone like will you come with me okay so I picks me up we go to this birthday party and I get to the party and I sit down in this chair and I don't know anyone at the party the only person I actually knew a couple people but basically the only person I knew is my friend and there's a whole bunch of people there and I sit down and this old white man sits next to me old in my mind at that point as a little oh, kid you know, young kid. <laughs> right I'm like he was probably my age now no he was in his in his in his 60s you know and white hair and he, and he sits down next to me. He says, hey, young man, how was your day? And this story is not actually in the book, which I wish it, it was in the book. It was just too long to add. So he said, hey, how was your day? And I said, oh, it was okay. I went to this meditation thing. 
And I leaned into him and I look him in the eyes and I was like, have you ever heard about meditation? Cause I'm still thinking it's this thing that not that many people do, right? Little did I know, I'm literally sitting next to one of the world's most renowned meditation teachers and scholars, Lauren Roche, who wrote the Radiant Sutras, Meditation Made Easy, Meditation Secrets for Women. Like he's been teaching meditation for like 40 years at that point, you know? And I'm sitting here, my little ass, like, have you ever heard about meditation? Giggle, did he respond seriously? Like, what was his response? This was the thing, Tall. He did not even let me on to the fact that he was a teacher. He didn't even, like, gave no inkling. He just was like, oh, yeah, I've heard of it. And he starts asking me questions. Why are you interested in meditation? What did it, so I just start opening up to this guy, you know? And the thing was, is he looked not exactly like, but he just was very much like my grandpa, like, Here's this white man. That's the thing that people, it's, I grew up in a family that's like, everyone looks white or is white. And so this older white man just reminded me of my grandpa and he was super nice and my grandpa had passed away. And so I just was super comfortable talking to, talking to him. And I just said, well, I grew up like this and I'm telling about the gunshot holes and telling about going to college and telling about how I'm feeling and my eating disorder and that this mentor told me that I needed to try meditation because it was a help. And, and at the end of the night, he pulls out this little book from his backpack, his bag, and he rips off a piece of paper, which I still have, that says Lauren with his phone number. And he says, all right, kid, if you want to learn to meditate, I want you to meet me at the end of Ocean Park Boulevard tomorrow morning at 945. And I literally actually take the paper and I'm like, okay, thanks. And I immediately get up and I go to my friend and I'm like, this old man is trying to pick me up. Look at what I said. I was like, go to learn meditation. Mm -hmm. Like my mom taught me better than that. Like I'm not going to learn to meditate with you. And then <laughs> you know, all the beach alone in the morning, hell no. And so then she starts cracking up and she tells me who he is, obviously. And she was like, you better go. So I went and my whole life changed that day. Everything, every single thing changed for me that day. He introduced me to a style of practice and a technique of practicing that didn't feel anything like any other practice that I'd ever done before in any yoga class or in, especially in the meditation class that I went to. And it, for the first time, made me feel like I was somebody who wasn't just trying to meditate, like trying to get my mind to stop, trying to accomplish this thing, but somebody who was actually meditating. And it, felt so incredible and at the end of that practice he looks at me and he just said, I'll never forget when he said this he just looked at me and said all right I want you to try this every day for two weeks you have my phone number check in with me every day and if you feel like at the end of these two weeks this is working for you I'll teach you everything I know for as long as you want as long as you need wow and I'm looking at him like why you know I'm sitting here like why would this what is this what does this man want you know, is what I'm thinking. And so I asked him, I said, I don't understand, like, why? And, you know, we're talking about somebody who charges like 500 plus dollars an hour, you know, to meditate. And he said, in all my years of teaching, I've never once come across somebody who looks like you or who've gone, who's gone through what you've gone through, who's been interested in this practice. And I think one day there are going to be people who need to hear your voice who don't need to hear mine. Oh, oh my God, that actually, makes me, that actually makes me cry. That's such a, that's so beautiful. It's like he's handing you a torch, like, which is yeah. so beautiful. And so that was it. And, and, and here we are, you know, 
decade plus later in a book and, and me sharing my voice to the people who need me. And it really was all because of Lauren. Like I would not at all be doing any of this work if it wasn't for him and his guidance. And I, I studied with him super closely traveling and teaching and helping him building his teacher training program. And, and, uh, and then kind of spread my wings and started sharing to a new community. And it sounds like from everything you've ever said, he's nothing but supportive. Like, I love the story you talk about in the book, getting to the mantra, because your book is very much kind of about a mantra and learning. And you yeah. tell this great story, which I love about how you're really kind of pissed off at mantras. And I mean, you should tell it because it's very funny, but you're just like, I'm over it. Yeah. I, do you want me to tell it? <laughs> <laughs> then I tell it. Oh my God. I feel like you would tell it great, but it, it was a really funny moment. So <clears throat> I was just in the practice and Every, and Lauren, just for context for people, like his life's work, like his greatest work is the translation of the Radiant Sutras, the Vijnana Bhairava Tantra, which is all in Sanskrit. And so like, I've been going to all these classes and everyone's like, you know, you need to da da da, namaha and this and that. And like me as a, you know, me as a black person, as a person of color is, I've been always very sensitive when people say stuff like, oh, well, you just say these words and it doesn't matter if you say it right. And it doesn't matter what it means. It doesn't matter if you know what it means, just say it. And like magic is supposed to happen. And I'm like, mm. like that, that doesn't feel like the right thing to me. It never has felt like the right thing to me. And especially when it's coming from teachers who themselves don't even know what it means, you know? And, and so I, I was super over Sanskrit. And I went to Lauren and I was so nervous. I was uh, so nervous because he's like a Sanskrit scholar. And I was like, Lauren, I fucking hate Sanskrit. Like, <laughs> he was like, and he goes, good, fuck it. That's literally what he said. And I'm like, I'm like, what? And he's like, you don't need Sanskrit. Like, you don't need it. It's, you, if you don't like it, don't use it. Like, you don't need it. And the truth story is now, Actually, I don't have anything against Sanskrit. I, I actually use it a lot now, but I have, I think I have something against the like appropriation of it, you know? And, um, but what he told me was, you know, the real point of meditation is to realize the guru is within you. Yeah. That's it. Like, so what do you need to cultivate in your own life for your own practice? And don't, you don't have to rely on some other guru giving you something that you don't know what it even means to step into your meditation practice. And, and that really was a huge turning point for me in my practice. Well, what I love about like what you talk about him and I feel like you in turn have done is exactly that because I believe that as well. But I feel like a lot of people don't actually practice that. They might say it, but then they really kind of manipulate and want people to only, I don't know, believe what they say or think. And I feel yeah. like, I mean, your whole book's kind of about that. It's about empowering someone to figure out how to make their practice work for them and be and literally cultivate it to be theirs. So I think that's huge. I mean, I thought you kind of hinted a little bit too. Did you ever learn TM or? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I felt like there were moments of, which I get, I learned TM too. And I, I have felt very similar of um, this idea of, there's an elitism around it that feels, um, you know, if you don't come here and do this, you won't get this specific magical thing that will change your life that you can only get here. And don't tell anyone because it's that magical and nobody else is allowed to have that power except for you because you paid us for it and then you have it. But I, that's one of my inspirations for the den too is because I learned TM and 
I had a friend once who was like, I want to learn how to meditate. And I keep asking my friend, she's learning TM, but she says she can't teach me. And I don't know what to do. I don't have the money right now. And I looked at her, I'm like, oh my God, I'll teach you how to do TM. And you, <laughs> I really don't think the specific mantra is what changes everything. I think if you find something that you resonate with and find the rhythm for you, it's funny. I said exactly, I go, this is years ago. I was like, it's the same yeah. thing. I'll teach you how to do what they teach you. And it, it hit me in that same way where I'm like, how can anyone control that or pretend they know what's yeah. I, I mean, you know, the thing that I say is there are, and what I want to honor in people, including people who practice TM, like yeah. there are, which I know, I know you're not bashing TM at all either. Like it, there you know, are, for me. there, there are different practices for everybody. You know, the technique that I use isn't going to work for everybody. I find that it works for a lot of people, but it isn't going to work for everybody. And, and I don't think there's anything wrong with the buffet of practice styles that there are. And I want to honor all of the lineages and, and traditions. I really try to make sure that in my teachings, I'm not knocking anyone's style. And, and I think one of the things that we have, we have to do as we're decolonizing our wellness practices is understanding that we do not always need to go outside of ourselves to ask someone what we need to be well. Ding, 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 ding. If we can be given the agency to ask ourselves the right questions and lead ourselves in the right direction, then we can source the answers from within ourselves to know what we need, which frees you from having to go to a teacher, go to a guru, listen to an app, go to anything. And this is what I say, I'm using my words very specifically here. I said having to, because I still love guided meditation apps. I still love going to teachers. And I go to those things because I want to, but I still have the ability to practice on my own without them if I want. And that's like the level of freedom that I want people to have in their practices because it, the, the colonization of wellness and meditation really says like, how can I keep you relying on me so that you have to keep coming back to me to keep this practice going for you? And I don't want that. I want you to have a practice that literally can live with you for life. And, and so that's what the intention of Stay Woke is and, it, and, the, and the book is to get, I don't give you any, there is no moment in the book where I say, do this. What I say to people is, here are the ingredients to this recipe use as much of each of these ingredients as you want. These are the questions that you need to ask yourself. This is the invitation that I'm inviting you into. And you're going to build your own recipe with these, in, with these ingredients. And you might even add in a few more ingredients. And so here are questions to ask if you want even different ingredients so that you can create a recipe that tastes good to you and, and a recipe that you can adjust as your dietary preferences of meditation change, you know? Right. That's huge. And I feel like people don't acknowledge that so much, that we are constantly evolving as humans. We are evolving. Look, we're evolving as a country right now. We're evolving as a global population. We're, you're individually evolving and shifting. Like you are not that 18 year old boy. You're probably not even the 25 year old one. Cause it sounds like you had another like mm -hmm. moment where you had to really like kind of get back in there. Um, and it's like, and that constantly happens in life. It's like you rediscover yourself and then you grow and then you have to rediscover. And so this, this 
this prescription idea of what you need to do as far as meditation or whatever it is, even eating or exercising always boggles my mind because I'm like, you're going to change. Like you as a human is going to change. And if you don't have the flexibility to hear yourself that you might need to change and do something differently, you're locking yourself into something that might not, might not even be working for you anymore. Yeah. And, and then we end up doing practices that we feel stuck with and they end up feeling like a chore or they end up feeling like an obligation or something that we have to do even though it's not giving us the benefit and I love Shauna Shapiro always says this and I love it she says you know what you practice grows stronger mm -hmm. and what I find when people are really honest with me I have the benefit of being a teacher who people just are super real with because I think I just show up like that with them and and I people will tell me I'm like, what is your meditation? So first I'll ask people, how does it, do you meditate often? Oh yeah, I meditate every day. Oh, how is it? Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. And then after a minute, I'm like, okay, what's your meditation practice really like? And usually people's practices, if they're, it's 70% of the time, they're beating themselves up for not being able to stop thinking. And then the other 30% of the time, they're thinking about, random stuff in their life and then getting mad at themselves that they were thinking about those things. And then maybe for like eight seconds, they thought that they stopped thinking for a moment and then tried to like get themselves back to it. So it's just like this constant like beating up and judging of ourselves during our practice. And if going with what Shauna said, if what we practice grows stronger, then what we're practicing every day is a form of like self-harm, you know, and right. self-hatred. And so we want to free ourselves from that. You don't want to be doing any practice that's disconnecting you from yourself like that at all, you know? You talk a lot actually about the practice too, which I love because you were saying before earlier about, you know, learn to ask yourself questions. So it's not necessarily that you need a teacher, though I agree with you. I, I have that same perspective. If you have someone that you like that makes you feel like helps you dig deeper, great. There's nothing wrong with the teacher. But as long as you don't think the teacher is the end all be all. Totally. And that you for yourself, but you're talking about asking yourself the questions and you do discuss this thing in your book um, really interestingly that I love about, um, I love that you say like, don't ask the dumb questions. <laughs> I'm a huge believer in self-inquiry too. And I say it all the time. I'm like, meditate and then self-inquire and you will be surprised how far you will go and the answers, yeah. that, the answers that will like come to you, but I love how you're like, don't, don't ask dumb questions. No, I say the book, like don't, ask. people always say, there's no such thing as a dumb question. I'm like, yes, there, yes, there are. <laughs> and, and just don't even waste your time in meditation asking dumb questions. And what I mean by dumb questions, I, I'm being a little, you know, silly in the book saying that, but I, I define the difference between a high quality question and a low quality question. And I think this will help people in their lives like way beyond meditation. And so high quality questions, I find usually start with how and low quality questions often begin with what. Yeah, what? And it's, it's, and it's a simple thing. So like, and sometimes even low quality questions, even, even sometimes begin with why, why and what. And so an example is a low quality question would be like, why can't I lose this weight? So let's say you, you found the answer to that. Let's say like meditation or like the voice of God like gave you the answer to like why you can't lose weight. How, what are you gonna do now? Like it doesn't, the answer to that doesn't empower you to go anywhere. Whereas a flip of that, the high quality version is, how can I lose these 15 pounds 
happens in a way that's fun and exciting and inspiring for me. Like, how can I, instead of like, why is Trump still in office? Okay. Like, how can I use my gifts and skills in a way to like support the world in this movement? You know, why does blah, blah, blah. Like we ask these questions where even if you got the answer to the question, it doesn't help you. And, and people like to do that because it absolves you from having to take any responsibility, even when you get the answer. But when you ask a how question, and I'm, some high quality questions can begin with why or what. I'm not being super binary here, but usually if you ask a how question and you ask it in a high quality way of what you're leaning into, then when you get the answer in your meditation, then the magic happens because then you're given an answer that you have to take responsibility for. And that's the hard part for people because they get the answer and they don't want to do the work. <laughs> they don't want to take the action. They don't want to make the change. And if you ask a high quality question, you'll be empowered to, to make that change. I love that. I mean, the whole thing is just self-empowerment. Let's bring it full circle before I have to let you go because I realize the time. Um, so how has it been for you during this time as a teacher, as a leader, and as a Black man? It's been really interesting, Tal. Um, as a Black man who has quite frankly been raised by the white spiritual world, like it's been a really dynamic, interesting time for me um, because I feel like I have a very deep experience on, I don't like saying both sides, but for the sake of simplicity, I'll say, you know, both sides of the bridge because um, I have a deep understanding for what a lot of, for again, for the sake of simplicity, like non-Black people are, saying and struggling with and dealing with and afraid of and you know leaning into because i i've been around these people for my whole life and i grew up in a family with white people raising me half of them and um it's just been really interesting and as a black man you know who who presents as a full black man like if the police pulled me over they wouldn't say hey are you half version like you know they were, they were just, was there any influence there any Mexican in there somewhere no like it would just be you're black you know and I have a deep experience with every single thing that's that's happening on in with that side of the equation and for me the work has been processing my own and thank god for my practices but like processing my own feelings of anger and rage and frustration so that I can show up in the world as somebody who can help build the bridge. Did you ever experience racism within your own family? Oh yeah. <laughs> Not often like um, with the intention of causing harm, but I'll give you an example. No, I, I don't want to put anybody in my family down, but I have, yeah. So I, I have had some like very overt, like obvious, you know, moments where it was like, whoa, that was super racist. Because if you looked at your family as a whole at like events, like, you know, my family with certain things we always do, were you the only black person really? Because once your dad was out of the picture? Me and my sister, mm -hmm. we're oh, the yeah. only ones. Yeah, like all my cousins, blonde hair, blue eye, like literally it would, like if it's like a funeral or like a huge family gathering, it's like a hundred Italian people and then like me and my sister, you know? So I could imagine things probably said off the cuff, like like you said, without the intention of being malicious, but probably, and did you find yourself, if you don't want to go specific, that's fine, but did you find yourself 
feeling it and knowing it was wrong or and this might be a really stupid question, but I don't know, like when you're in that environment. Yeah, feeling it and not knowing what to say or do, you know, um, not knowing like how to call it out or how to call it, how to call it forward, how to say something about it back then. I mean, now I wouldn't, I, I would have the agency to know what to do. And my family would too, because my family's doing a lot of anti-racist work. Like my mom is, you know, my mom's reading Leila Saad's Me and White Supremacy. Like, you know, the thing is, is, and this is an important thing that I want people to remember, the people who really should be doing anti-racist work or work to dismantle white supremacy or these different things are the quote unquote, good white spiritual people. Like that's who really need, should be doing this work because you have close proximity to black people and people of color. You have black friends, you have black coworkers, you date black people, you have, you know, so my mom is somebody who has black kids, you know, who like, it has, you know, had a black husband and all these kind of things, like she's still recognized. She's like, oh my God, I've, I've done some of these things. I didn't realize. And um, those people are the ones who have the biggest opportunity to create the biggest change. And that's why I really inspire people to get into this work because it's fantastic. It is so deep. It is, um, the first time in history that we have the opportunity to even do this work with the level of books and education and support that we have ever. So we're the first generation with the opportunity to even do this stuff. I was going to say, don't you find that I feel the same way that there's something about now that feels different because there is work being done. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, and an opportunity between social media and the physical books yeah. and things you can do. Like I, I remember like when, same thing when everything, when George Floyd happened, I mean, I hate when you say the movement because you're like, this has been going on for so long. It's just interesting yeah. that George Floyd- But the shift, there's been a shift. Yeah. There's been a shift. Yeah. Um, I remember the same thing. I was like, oh my God, education, education. And it felt like, but I love that I could turn to six different things during a day and get it in different ways. Yeah. And I was like, that couldn't have happened I mean, yes, you probably could find it, but not as it wasn't as readily available. No, and now there's no excuse. Like, if anybody says, "Well, I don't know," like, I don't, I don't know how to, like, what I should do with why I'm like Google one word, like how to not be racist. You'll find hundreds of podcasts and books and articles. Like everything is there, you know. So, you, like, nobody can use that excuse anymore. And I think especially for spiritual people. So I'll tell people the number so. First thing is I have put together a guide of conscious resources for people, a free guide of conscious resources that people in the spiritual or mindful community I know will align with because I'm a part of this community that will help you in this work that is of high high vibration. And I know some people like listening to, to reading books, some people like listening to books, some people like podcasts, some people like videos. So I segmented them out in different forms. It's not an exhaustive list. There's like 12 things on it, but that I think are like the number one, like if you're gonna do anything at all, these are the most important things. And that is at, it's on my website at justinmichaelwilliams.com slash fight racism. So justinmichaelwilliams.com slash fight racism. And that will take you to the list. Yeah, I was just making sure that's it. That will take you to the list of everything that you need and um, help people get into it. And all my favorite books, including Layla Saad's Me and White Supremacy and an interview that I did with her and several other amazing things um, are there for you. And I just, this is the the last thing I'll say about this. Um, 
the thing that is going to help us change this world, the thing that's going to change this world is for white people to really realize that racism is not a black problem that you need to sympathize with. But it is a problem, like black, really think about this, like critically, like black people didn't create racism against black people. Like we didn't create it. So we can't dismantle it on our own. It's not possible for us to dismantle it on our own. It is impossible. And so we need you, like the world needs you. We need the woke people. We need the spiritual people. We need the conscious people who care, who can send loving kindness, who want to raise a vibration. Like we need you to recognize that this is a problem that white people created in the world and that white people need to help resolve. And, it, and we need everybody to step up to the plate because this is a moment in history where we're gonna look back and say, like we were able to change some stuff. And I think we really can do that right now. I totally agree. Where do you feel like, as you were saying in the beginning of this conversation, because you were integrated in a family that was the family it was, that you see things from both perspectives. What are you feeling that you're, what are you feeling from white people or non-black people, I should say, because your family is mixed. Like, mm -hmm. what are you getting from non-black people? Are they struggling with this? Is it, what, what do you feel like the, the biggest reaction you're getting? Everyone's in a different spot. Some people are like, yes, I'm in, I'm reading, I'm doing the work, I'm in. And then like, some people are like, I'm doing the work, but like, I'm really afraid to say anything because like, I don't want to be virtue signaling, which I have a problem with that. But like, I, you know, there's so many different ways. And a lot of people mostly are really afraid because they don't want to mess up. Is your problem with people hiding behind virtue signaling or is your problem with virtue signaling? So I, to be totally honest with you, I think virtue signaling and this concept of people not posting about the work that they're doing. Um, so I'll say this. If you are actually doing anti-racist work or if you're actually doing the work to dismantle, I think you should absolutely be posting about it and telling everyone that you are. Because at least we have some signal going out and we like the people who are white supremacists who are totally anti all of this, they're not saying, oh, well, let's not virtue signal. Like the world is like very loud on that other side of the equation. And I think we need more people to know that more of their friends are doing this work. And so am I suggesting that you just post about it and not actually do the work? Absolutely not. Right. But if you are doing anything at any level, like, I think you should be telling people because it's going to inspire more people to do the work. And so I get, I get a little nervous about the virtue signaling conversation, which for people who don't know, virtue signaling is um, people are saying like, don't post about your anti-racism work because it's just you posting to make yourself look good so that people know that you're doing it and you feel like you're a better person. I don't know. Like, I would rather people know that this work is happening then people not know that this work is happening. And I agree that there's different opinions on that, you know? Yeah, yeah, there's always different opinions on everything. But I do think it's interesting because I also find when you post, you're creating new conversations. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, anyone who follows me on Facebook knows it's like, oh my God, I post and then it's like a 250 comment thread with like my racist white cousin. That's insane. Mm -hmm. And like <laughs> me fighting them, everyone else jumping in, my black friends jumping in, my other friends. I mean, it's, it's great. And it's like multiple threads. Yeah. Um, and I remember at first being like, eee. and ultimately I feel like, because someone said, well, why don't you take it down? I'm like, I actually think 
it's helpful. Like, I feel like some people are seeing what a conversation like that looks like. Um, they're seeing that these conversations exist in families. It's not always pretty. It's not always easy. Like yeah. that's what's going to happen. Um, and I don't know. And it, there's so many, I don't know. I feel like it's actually educational in some ways. Yes, I agree. And, and ultimately like anchoring this back into the question that you asked me, um, I think what people have to just learn and own is that this is going to be messy. We've never done this before. We don't know how to do this. There's no handbook. The, the like no generation before us has done this. Never ever has this conversation happened like this. And so it's gonna be messy. There's gonna be missteps. People are gonna get called out. You're gonna get called forward. You're gonna get called in. There's all of that's gonna happen. And it's okay. It's okay. Like it's a part of it, you know? And I've been telling people like, we have to create a space where people can feel comfortable knowing that they can make a mistake, but also knowing that if they make a mistake, that it's okay that they get called out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, and then learning how to call people. I, I don't really like called out, called in. I like to say calling forward because we're speaking to that place within people that knows that more is possible, you know? And so we call people forward into that. Um, I think you're amazing. I have probably 55 more questions for you. So I would love to have you back on and we'll do another talk. I would love to. I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, oh my God, I didn't even talk about this. We didn't get to talk about this. We didn't get to talk about this. <laughs> Which I love about you. I feel like you have so much to offer. Um, and he's going to do his personal practice, which is, you know, a short meditation to discover your unique energy signature, which I love because I love talking about energy all the time. And again, I think what you do so well, and you said it yourself, is you create these recipes that are individual for every single, actually, you don't even create them. You're giving people the ingredients so they can create their own recipes. Exactly. And um, I think that's huge. And thank you for being open and honest and just such a leader right now. I mean, always, but especially right now, we need you. Yeah, thank you. I feel, I feel super honored, Tal, to be here with you. And um, I'm just super grateful. Me too. So thank you. Um, so now Justin's going to lead us in his meditation, a five-minute meditation to discover your unique energy signature. So I'd like you, wherever you are right now, first of all, to get super comfortable. And when I say super comfortable, I don't even mean you have to sit cross-legged and all straight, whatever. If, if that feels good to you, do that. But if not, just like Sit back, relax, drop your shoulders and rest into your body. And then on the count of three, I would like you to exhale everything out of your system through your nose. One, two, three, exhale everything out through the nose and come to completely empty. And now to my count of four, slowly inhale for one, two, three, Four, hold for one, two, three, four. Exhale, one, two, three, four. Again, inhale, one, two, three, four. Hold for one, two, three, four. Exhale, one, two, Three, four. Now place your hands over your heart, one on top of the other. And if that feels uncomfortable to you at any point, you can drop them down. 
we just place our hands here. It helps release oxytocin into the body. And I'm going to invite you into a visualization with me. And I want you to remember as we do this visualization that you can actually visualize or imagine with more than just sight, with more than just images. Some people see images in their head, but some people don't see images at all or the images are fuzzy. So you can also imagine with smell or sound or taste or a physical sensation in your body or an emotional change. So welcome all of those things or any combination of them as we do this practice. So I want you now to imagine a future version of yourself who is living the life of your dreams. And just trust what arises when I say that. A future version of you at any point in the future you have the body you've always wanted, you have the money you've always wanted, you're in the relationships you've always wanted, in the house you've always wanted. Everything in your life is exactly as you can ever want or hope for. And if you have multiple things kind of shuffling around in your mind, just see if you can land in one spot, even if it's fuzzy. And notice in this vision of this future you, are you indoor or are you outdoor? Notice in this vision what color you might be wearing. Notice in this vision if there's anyone there with you or if you're alone. And where did you land in this vision that indicates to you that you're living the life of your dreams? What's happening or what's happened or what's about to happen? Now I want you to just notice if you can anchor into how the future version of you feels. How do they feel to be living the life of your dreams? Just trusting what comes up, noticing that you may not get an answer to every question. And just take a moment now to scan around this vision, expanding, seeing if you can spot any more sounds or colors or textures or things in your environment. even if it's incomplete. Now I'm gonna ask you a question. With your eyes closed and staying in the sacred space, I want you to answer this question with one, two, or three words. Here's your question. As you imagine this future version of you who is living the life of your dreams, what energy do you need to cultivate more of in your life now, today, 
to become closer to being that person that you see in your vision. I'm gonna ask it again. What energy do you need to cultivate more of in your life now so that you can become closer to being that person that you're seeing in your vision? One, two, or three words. Just trust the first things that arise. And now for the next few breaths, I want you to repeat those words and I invite you to repeat the words in rhythm with your breath. Imagining that you're inhaling the energy of those words on each in-breath and that you're exhaling and sending that energy out into the world on each out-breath. Inhaling and exhaling as the energy of the words recycle through you. You may notice a color or a texture or a feeling or something that comes up now as we breathe with the energy of these words or word. Now, finally, for your last few breaths on your own count, just imagine on the exhales that you're sending that energy out to everyone in the world who needs it sending that energy straight to all who may be in need. Maybe even imagining just a ball of energy in front of you that you're sending this energy towards and that energy is just spreading out to everyone who needs it in the world, including you. Circling and recycling. Take one more full deep breath in and a breath out. When you're ready, I invite you to open your eyes. So what we just created, those words are a little sample, just a little sample of what it could feel like to start to learn to practice, to generate your own mantra. And the words that you created and breathed with were the mantra for this particular practice and that if we were doing a longer practice, you would sit with and breathe with and play with and see what it uh, calls forth inside of you. Because everyone's words will be unique and everyone's words will be different. And the words that you need right now will be different than the words that you need a few years from now. Because as we said in the episode, you're changing and evolving constantly. And so this is a little peek at how you learn to discover your own unique energy signature also known as a mantra, a tool of thought to help you anchor your thoughts so that you can take action in this world for yourself, for your family, for your community, and for those who cannot take action for themselves. This has been Justin Michael Williams signing out, and I love you. Den Talks podcast would not exist without these incredible people, Nicole Rappi, Reem Edan, Hayden Fungheiser, Kim Bielik, and music by Alex Fetter. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't subscribed, please do. And also wherever you listen, please go and leave us a review. It's so greatly appreciated. It really does help us out. If you want to keep talking about all this stuff, please join our community on our secret Facebook page. Go to Facebook, search Den Talks podcast, and join us there. 
What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.